Hello and welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brennan Black, and today I am joined by the director of the Tulare County Farm Bureau. I'll have her introduce herself. Hi, Trisha Stever Blattler. <laughs> um, so why don't you go ahead and just give a, a quick introduction as to what it is you do at the Farm Bureau and what kind of your role is in, in this whole thing. So I've had the fortune of being the Farm Bureau Executive Director here at the county level for mm-hmm. Tulare County for the past 11 years. I also uh, worked at the California Farm Bureau for six years before that. Oh, wow. So I have a, a, a great path that kind of started for me right out of college. I was planning to teach high school agriculture mm. and was a real active FFA member and 4-H kid and attended Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and majored in agricultural sciences, which mm. is their teaching major, and really expected to be an ag teacher. <laughs> Uh, When I got done with my master's and my credential process, uh, a great opportunity came forward to me, and that was kind of a quasi-teaching role, but with the California Farm Bureau in their nonprofit arm called Mm -hmm. the California Foundation for Agriculture in the Classroom. Wow. A lot of words. (laughs) But I ended up serving as a program coordinator on staff there for about four years and then became a field representative meaning I worked with county farm bureaus all up and down central and southern California. Did that for almost three and a half years and then became the county farm bureau director here in Tulare County back in 2007. Wow. So you've been around the farm bureau for uh, quite some time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nearly 18 years. Wow. That's, that's as old as I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for making me feel kind of no, old not, now. Not to, uh, I'm just saying you've uh, had some experience in this, in this field for a while. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, would you mind explaining exactly what the Farm Bureau is, either on the national level or just on the county level? Either way is fine. Sure. The Farm Bureau is a federated structure, mm-hmm. meaning much like the FFA program, when someone joins the Farm Bureau, they're joining at a local level. Mm. They pay dues that are a voluntary choice. We're not you know, mandating dues are paid out of any kind of proceeds or harvest checks or milk mm. checks or anything of that <laughs> nature. It is a solely voluntary membership organization. And when they pay their local county dues, which are paid here to Tulare County Farm Bureau, that member has a small percentage of their dues forwarded to the California Farm Bureau and to the American Farm Bureau. Gotcha. So it is a federation, meaning mm-hmm. your dues not only have you know value in making you a member of your local county grassroots organization, but each county Farm Bureau in California belongs to the state federation, mm-hmm. and the 50 states in the United States belong to the American Farm Bureau Federation. Wow. Um, In this federated structure, we are a a voluntary membership trade association. Mm. The goal of the Farm Bureau is to provide advocacy and a voice for the rural community and to make sure that farmers and ranchers and everyone that's involved in some type of farming, you know, enterprises has advocacy and a voice in, you know, taxation, (laughs) land use, water, air quality type issues. Um, We provide a voice to Congress and to our state legislature and to our county government about anything that might impact farming. Okay. So we're kind of like the Chamber of Commerce, but very specifically for agricultural business and farmers. Got it. Okay. That's a very good uh, explanation of what the uh, Farm Bureau does as a whole. Um, So a lot of 
uh, people my age were first exposed to the Farm Bureau through your youth leadership program. Would you mind talking about that a little bit as well? We have an amazing and unique uh, local project called the Youth Leadership Program mm -hmm. of Tulare County Farm Bureau, and it is a high school leadership experience. Mm -hmm. We recruit uh, the, the students when they're actually right at the end of their sophomore year. They become part of the program as a junior. Uh, we normally have 50 to 75 applicants, and we normally only select the top you know, 25 for wow. the class. So sometimes we're a little bigger, but <laughs> roughly 25 to 28 students are selected annually. And they're basically awarded a scholarship to participate in the next nine months of leadership experiences. We have a really neat lineup of activities in the fall. The class meets for the first time. Their parents join them and they come here to the Farm Bureau building to learn a little bit about Farm Bureau. Mm. And they take part in a business etiquette type training experience. Okay. Uh, from there, they go to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo for a two day trip. Mm. They participate in some team building and leadership experiences at Cal Poly. And they get to tour the school and learn about that university as an agricultural school. Mm. Then in the fall, they also take part in some community service experiences. Uh, this year, we're going to be doing two activities. We're going to meet with probably the sheriff's department and do the same community service experience that you might remember doing, helping with a children's holiday party for mm. uh, low-income children in the county. Right. Then we're also probably going to work with Food Link on repackaging food for distribution around the holidays. In January, the program does a career night where they meet with some career professionals in lots of unique agricultural career fields. Hmm. And we'll be touring College of the Sequoias down in Tulare. And then in the spring, they also do an advocacy and public speaking class. And then a trip to Sacramento, which has usually included a UC campus tour. Wow. In the past, it was Davis. This year, we might be looking to do a tour at UC Merced huh. since it's a little bit closer to the, the south part of the valley. Right. And then uh, they graduate in the spring, in May. Wow. So it's an amazing program. It was modeled after the highly successful California Ag Leadership Program, mm. which is for adults. Uh, and this is kind of a miniature version of that two-year experience that adults go through with an industry. Okay. This one is compressed to nine months. And it's about a $600 scholarship per student. Wow. Yeah, by the time we... <laughs> Puts you in a hotel for a couple trips and the buses and the food and the speakers and all the activities. It's about a $600 commitment per student. Wow. So we spend today almost $20,000 on this program alone. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> and that all comes basically out of the pockets of farm businesses and local banks and local farm businesses that want to support this program. So outside of the farm businesses and banks, can pretty much anyone donate to the Farm Bureau? Oh, wow. So how would somebody go about supporting that kind of um, contribution? Just Well, the good part is Farm Bureau is set up with kind of two entities. The Farm Bureau is a, a governing body and a political organization. Mm -hmm. We locally don't get too involved with endorsements mm -hmm. or political candidates, but we do provide a presence in a lot of different political activities. So unique from that, we also have what's called a charitable organization, mm. uh, the kind of organization that you could write a check to the charitable organization and get a tax deduction you know, on your Got income it. taxes. So fortunately, the program I just spoke about, the Youth Leadership Program, and the scholarships that we award to graduating high school seniors, and all the other efforts we do under the umbrella of an education committee, mm. like school garden funding, 
and a calendar art contest that we do. Those are all funded by individual con contributions and anyone can donate to those charitable programs directly. If someone would like to become like a major sponsor, uh, they would reach out to me and we could talk about customizing that gift. Mm. This year we had the generosity of Bank of the Sierra and Land O'Lakes, okay. who are both major donors right. to the youth leadership program. Wow. And uh, the bank is getting recognition. The, the, the kids are wearing polo shirts this year that have the bank's name on the sleeve. Oh, that's pretty cool. And so there's different ways that we can give some brand recognition and thank you recognition to those businesses that step up and want to do major giving. Huh. Um, our other major fundraiser for all education projects happens once a year in March. And it's called our Spring Gala, hmm. and it'll happen March 29th of 2019. And it is a steak and lobster dinner at the Visalia Convention Center. And we'll be selling tickets and major sponsorships for that in January. Wow. Huh. So one more thing before we uh, move on from the leadership part of it is you said that it was unique. Is it only unique to the Tulare County Farm Bureau, or there's no other Farm Bureaus that do... Uh, some sort of youth leadership? There are, there are definitely other leadership experiences hosted by county farm bureaus, but this is the only one, particularly here in the Western United States, that mm. we know about that is unique to high school students. Okay. Uh, we were awarded a national honor in 2008 by the American Farm Bureau for being a uniquely distinct program <laughs> unlike anything else in the nation. Uh, so to my knowledge, there's not another high school leadership version of this experience in other county farm bureaus anywhere in the West. Huh. Fresno County Farm Bureau does have a FACT program, <laughs> and FACT is spelled differently. I think it's F-A-A-C-T, okay. and it is an acronym for their future agricultural communication leadership type experience. Okay. And it is targeted to folks that are already full-time workforce people, but largely those that might work in political roles, oh. like support staff to maybe city council, county superintendents or mm -hmm. supervisors, or a legislative aide or a district field rep for like an assembly member or a senator. Hmm. And so it also has a really unique focus because it's trying to make sure that people that do influence political leaders know what their Farm Bureau is all about. Right. Um, so that's a really valuable program too, but it is already for people that work in those jobs. Got it. And our program is only for these high school juniors. I see. They're helping them get the, the transition into the, the job. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I know one of the uh, aspects of the National, the American Farm Bureau that a lot of people like to use is they have a, a pretty large bank of knowledge for people to uh, pull from. I know that I've used it several times for some of my speeches. Um, where do where does the Farm Bureau gain all this knowledge? Do they have like research teams to help out with with getting a lot of this together? Do they have farmers that contribute uh, data, or uh, where, what's their biggest uh, source of, of this information? Well, what's different about our state and federal level programs or organizations? The best way I've always heard it explained to me: the American Federation and the state federations have a high number of staff specialists, mm -hmm. but serve indirectly a very low number of volunteers, whereas county farm bureaus are normally very small offices with like two or three employees, but we serve a large body of volunteers. Mm. So our volunteers are our members. In this county, that's around 1,600 farmers and members in our county. Okay. So 
on the national level and on the state level, we have a battery of in-house staff that are rich in subject matter expertise. Mm. We have lobbyists. We have water experts. We have soil, air, and plant health experts. Mm. We would have people that um, are contracted to do research work, like economists, Mm. scientists. Um, We really would have a lot of subject matter expertise on staff. So at the American Farm Bureau level, there are entire departments of staff that only focus on federal programs like the Farm Bill. There's a division of staff that work on news and communications. Mm. There's a division of staff that are just attorneys that maybe follow what's going on in the Supreme Court and in the district courts and work with federal courts on making policies and you know laws and dealing with lawsuits that impact farmers and agricultural land and other resources. Wow. So at both the American level and the state level, you have a very similar structure. Mm-hmm. Lots of lobbyists, attorneys, and subject matter experts that are you know, very good at deciphering, you know, the Endangered Species Act and the EPA, and they're up to speed on laws dealing with pesticides and regulations that impact all different aspects of farming. Wow. Fortunately, a lot of that trickles down into county level roles. Mm. I learn a lot of my information by consulting with the attorneys and the lobbyists of the Mm. subject matter specialists that are on staff at the state and the American level. But locally, I really rely upon the farmers here in Tulare County to kind of be my barometer. Gotcha. They guide me because I work for them. They're my board of directors. Mm. I serve at the pleasure of a 23-member board who are all farmers in this county. <laughs> and so they will often bring to my attention some of the most burning, pressing issues that are affecting their everyday operations. Mm. And those become the issues that I go up and talk to the attorneys and the lobbyists and the specialists about Got and it. bring back information that helps inform me on how I do my job. I see. So if a farmer comes in my front door and says... You know what? I've got a problem with a water quality regulation that's, you know, from the Central Valley Regional Water Quality Control Board. Mm-hmm. I will either help be an interface for them to the regional board, or I might call one of our water attorneys at California Farm Bureau and say, I've got a member that has this problem with a regulation or a tax issue, and I help serve as kind of that go between <laughs> so that the specialist and the farmer can kind of communicate. And the farmer gets the help that they need. I see. So here at the county level, we do a lot of that kind of work for them on county level issues. Mm. So it's more common that a farmer comes to me and says, you know, I've got some question about how my land is being taxed or assessed. And I put them in touch with the county assessor's office. Or, you know what, I've got a crime issue going on. Someone's breaking into my, you know, corrals and stealing calves out of Mm. my dairy Well, maybe they don't have a relationship to the sheriff deputy that drives that beat. We'll put them in touch with a rural crime sheriff's deputy that is really knowledgeable about how to maybe catch a calf theft, (laughs) calf thief. (laughs) So we often provide a lot of services uh, as kind of an intermediary between the farmer and the government agency that maybe they're having to interact with, good or bad. Wow. Okay. So it's a little bit uh, bigger than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, well, and we're general agriculture in the sense that I don't just work for dairy producers or I don't mm-hmm. just work for citrus growers. I represent 1,600 
farm families in this county and they all may grow something different. Wow. So I try to be very general mm. in my advocacy role. Right. That can be very valuable and it can be an Achilles heel to me right. because if I'm not doing enough <laughs> by the standard of a dairyman, uh, you know, I may not get their support year after year. Right. Or if I do something that really helps the almond grower, but that somehow impacts a citrus grower and one, you know, their bottom line goes up over here and down over here. Yeah. I have to somehow remember that, like, remember, Farm Bureau is not really driven by commodity specific interests. Right. We're trying to be a general overall farm organization for the good of all of agriculture. Okay. That makes sense. That actually answered another question I had. I was going to ask on how you became so personally uh, knowledgeable on all these different subjects because you've helped out uh, me and, and Evan several times with our speeches and and just a lot of the questions we had about ag issues. So um, yeah, no, that, that clarifies a lot for me. <laughs> I do a lot of reading. I spend every single week reading an amazing amount of literature. Oh, uh, wow. You know, I listen to folks' podcasts. I, I subscribe to a lot of agricultural newspapers and mm. newsletters. I read other commodity groups, business journals. Um, I read the Farm Bureau's publications, both the, in, the internal ones that are for staff like myself and, of course, the ones that externally go to our membership, like Ag Alert, mm. which is a weekly newspaper here in California. Mm -hmm. And it's a combination of all those things. I also right. monitor and review a lot of social media. Uh, you know, I follow Twitter feeds and Facebook feeds and Instagram feeds, mm -hmm. which takes a lot of time. <laughs> but there's a tremendous amount of agricultural news that is exchanged on all those mediums. Yeah. And so a big part of me just staying up on issues and being able to coach an FFA member about a speech <laughs> or go talk to a county supervisor about an, a land use issue or a water issue is mostly because of staying up on the issues by reading, you know, a lot of publications and trade journals and keeping up on what's in the news. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's hard to uh, keep everything under control. There's so much, especially as things are getting more and more popular on social media, it's it's hard to keep it all A lot straight. of information out there and, <laughs> and filtering out what's really good information and good news and what is kind of junk news. Right, yeah. <laughs> I was just reading a study last night on psychology of cattle and I was like, I don't think these people have ever seen a cow before. This doesn't sound right. You still have to really <laughs> have a good filter right. when you're looking for any kind of information online. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, like I was saying before we started this interview, I'd like to pick your brain on some other issues regarding agriculture at some time. Just mm -hmm. I'm not sure if we have the time for it today, but okay. we'll definitely have to get together another time. But there is one issue that I ask every single guest on here because this is a podcast dedicated to ag literacy and the uh, improvement of, of ag literacy in, in our country because we definitely need it. Um, what do you see or... On the, on the issue of ag literacy, do you see it improving at all? Do you see it getting worse? Or how do you think we can uh, more effectively work to improve that, that issue right now? You know, when I started working at the California Ag in the Classroom program mm -hmm. nearly 18 years ago, I guess I really did have this belief that once you educate someone about agriculture, you know, it should have this trickle-down effect that, like, if I reach this third grader, through a petting, you know, petting farm experience right. in the urban area of San Francisco, <laughs> I'm going to influence them as they grow up and think about food choices and the ballot box. And that was a bit of a naive yeah. thought. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And even living here in a very rural farm county mm -hmm. where you would believe that I bet every kid should know something about farming, 
we're actually raising a lot of children in our communities that are, again, just have no connection to the farms that they see around them as they drive to school on school buses or walk to school in school neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. They are very detached from agricultural literacy. And so I don't know that it's getting better. I think the job that lies before us is really about figuring out how to connect the consumer, which each of us is a consumer, because we all go to the grocery store and buy most of our food and clothing. Mm -hmm. Very little of us are raising it all and making it all from (laughs) scratch. Right. We have to figure out how to tell that story in a compelling manner and make it relevant to them buying food in the grocery store. We, we often joke like, well, they just think milk comes from the store. Right. Well, in their mind, it does. Right. So we have to get beyond just that superficial attitude of thinking, well, if we just show kids where a dairy is, then they'll understand and respect what a dairy does. Yeah, I know. It's really not that simple. No. It, it, it's going to have to be more about having deliberate conversations with people often who disagree with us, Mm -hmm. often that are unpleasant or uncomfortable in terms of having that discussion, those are the folks that we have to start having a lot more deliberate discussion with. Uh, Another really good example is the water bond. Mm. We just lost a water bond in this state that probably should have been passed. It had significant implication for the San Joaquin Valley. It could have helped restore some of the major infrastructure problems going on with like the Fry and Curtin Canal. Mm. But in general, a lot of our population don't trust government, don't trust what they thought the bond was designed to do, mm-hmm. don't have faith in how it would have been funded or that that funding would have ultimately reached us here in the Central Valley. Mm. And that's unfortunate. It is. Um, and so in terms, in terms of ag literacy, I'm not sure we've done as good of a job as we'd like to think we have. Yeah. I think we're preparing a lot of really outstanding, bright, amazing young people through FFA and 4-H, but they are a small percentage of our population that's walking this earth. Yep. And there's a whole lot more young people and their parents who are out in the workforce today who make a lot of their decisions at the ballot box yep. based on emotion. And every day animal rights groups like PETA and the Humane Society are outmaneuvering us mm-hmm. in so many ridiculous ways to appeal to people emotionally. And that's how they win ballot measures. Yeah. That's how they win who they get elected. Yeah, and we true. in the rural parts of California have not done a great job in trying to tell our story deliberately and repeatedly and mm-hmm. ingraining it along different age groups of children and adults um, we just think, well, they grew up here and they went through FFA and they know it all. Well, mm. that's only a small percentage of our population. It, yeah. So your podcast is <laughs> incredibly important. Needs to be probably magnified five hundred times over <laughs> to reach a lot more folks. Yeah. No. Well, that was the point. I talk to people all the time about the whole reason I started this project, and it's never been about popularity or being the first one to do it. Or um, you know, back when I was still working with Mr. Coyne, uh, pretty often he, him, and I would go back and forth on it and saying it'd be really cool if other chapters could do something like this, and you know, just have projects where they could just out reach and try to get the word out as fast as possible and I was like well yeah that's that's the point of this it's not about who has the you know the, the answer first or who, has, who can talk the best or who can bring on the most popular interview guests it's about who can effectively spread the information in a way that people are going to be able to not only understand it but it's going to resonate with them to a point where they'll never forget it 
Yep. Um, I actually interviewed, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with Frank Tebow. Mm-hmm. I figured you would be. Um, he, I interviewed him a couple weeks ago, and one of the points that he seems to be pretty confident about is um, a lot of the people in not only the agricultural community, but just on the right side of the political aisle in general, I mean, a lot of like the Ben Shapiros and Jordan Petersons and those kinds of people, um, they're very... Uh, most of their arguments are built off of factual information and, and a lot of just like concrete evidence. And as great as that is, a lot of people don't really look at the evidence anymore. So Mr. Tebow had this thought that, well, maybe if we put more of like the happy cow ads out, more of the emotional, you know, emotional uh, you know, as, as hard as that is for us to do, because that's not, that's not how we're wired, that may be the only way we can actually get them to, to at least pay attention. And then we can get them the facts and say, hey, now that I have your attention, here's what you're eating. And here's where it comes from. And maybe that'll work. So I think that, that might be something that's worth considering at least. Um, yeah, I think there is a real philosophical or ideological divide. In, mm-hmm. And we believe that if we give you facts and information, it should be trusted. Right. And we in agriculture want people to see us as credible. Mm-hmm. And they did a survey a number of years back that the American Farm Bureau has really placed a lot of emphasis on that when you looked at 10 occupations like, you know, fireman and nurse and doctor and police officer and farmer, farmer was held in very high regard as a highly credible individual. (laughs) But as soon as you started deviating from the word farmer and you started using words like grower, Mm. producer, rancher, operator, packer, processor, those words start to create a more negative or distrusting connotation that you're more like a corporate person or you know you work in some big conglomerate some factory Um, so there really is a lot to be said that the nomenclature that we associate with our industry is really important Mm -hmm. Um, another study that was done somewhere down in southern california i remember san diego farm bureau shared this with a, a body of county leadership one time that they had done some type of opinion poll with the public. And in San Diego, there was overwhelming desire to see more um, reservoirs built in the state to hold Mm -hmm. water, Mm -hmm. but they were adamantly opposed to dams. Now, a dam and a reservoir happen together. (laughs) Yeah, You build a lake or you build a reservoir because normally you build a dam that holds back water from a river system or you have some kind of off storage pro you know above ground storage thing that takes off stream water and stores it right but it was a very compelling reason to recognize okay people really have a disconnect they do they they are totally opposing dams but they support the notion of building reservoirs right so most of us really support the idea of eating meat mm-hmm. but the minute some really emotional ugly ad comes out showing animals being treated in a cruel situation or they look like they're crated or right. on the way to a you know processing facility the emotional response that happens is really significant for most people yeah and so that's where agriculture just gets beat left mm-hmm. and right because we can put all kinds of facts and figures and credible information out to this audience that we think they should trust us and believe us mm-hmm. that one emotional video takes all of our credibility away right um, so we really do have a difficult job and 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 probably your other guest was spot on in saying we've we've got to probably 
figure out how to take more of an emotional attack appeal yep. to the audience that we want to attract to hear our message. Right. Um, some of the activist organizations have done that really well. They really have. And they're, you know, they're really eating our lunch because of it. <laughs> right. No. Well, yeah, unfortunately, that's something that I think we're all just going to have to find some kind of adjustment to. I'm not sure exactly how we're going to do it, but... I have faith we'll figure out something hopefully soon. Um, <laughs> but well, your podcast is a great start, <laughs> and hopefully, a lot of listeners will you know explore and find find out credible information on their own that helps helps I, them become more informed. Yeah, I hope so too. I do have some guests that are actually like completely disconnected from agriculture, and they're good friends of mine, and they just listen just to hear what I have to say. And now they're very like you know they're attached to it they're like oh i want to hear the next episode i want to hear what else other farmers have to say and mm -hmm. so so i think it's at least working a little bit it's still very small but uh like i said i like to i like to see it expand just a little bit more just just for educational purposes nothing to do with popularity or anything like that just we need to get the word out there somehow absolutely so i actually before you know before we close here i actually did have one um an idea for a uh, segment I want to start on the show that I think might be beneficial for this very conversation. I have a friend of mine who's very interested in agriculture, but she knows nothing about it. Like before, like uh, our freshman year when I started showing uh, steers and, and other beef cattle, she was always super interested in learning about the beef industry and, mm -hmm. and uh, what happens, you know, every step of the way from the time they hit the ground to the time they hit your plate. She learned, you know, she, she would ask me questions every day about that and about what I was learning in my ag classes. Like she has such an interest, but she had no idea where to start and she didn't want to take any ag classes and she had, you know, no exposure to the ag industry and she grew up in Tulare. So, I mean, she had exposure, she just didn't know where to look. So, right. Um, I actually asked her to come on and help me, and we're supposed to do that sometime during the winter break. We're going to have a conversation consumer to, well, I'm not a producer, but mm -hmm. you know, consumer to an educated person about the industry and just kind of bridge some gaps. I'm going to have her ask some questions that she has about agriculture, and I'll ask her some questions about what she knows, and maybe we can start Great. You know, bridging, the, bridging the gap there. So All right. that's a project that we're working on, but we'll see Excellent. how it goes. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, so I think that's it. Uh, I don't have any more questions for you anything else you want to add uh, you're uh, feel free to um no i just think this is a great way to get the message out and wish you all the best be happy to come back and talk further another yeah, time that'd be great we'd, we'd appreciate your uh, your help and your knowledge it's yeah. very helpful for what we're trying to do here so uh, that being said i think we're going to wrap up the episode here i'd like to thank our guests here for joining us and for uh, educating us on the farm bureau as a as a federation and ag literacy a little bit and I'd like to thank all of our listeners here for tuning in. I uh, hope you guys learned something uh, and you're eager to learn more like some of our audience are. That always makes me excited to see those people. And yeah, so we'll catch you guys in a couple weeks. And don't forget, if you ate today, thank a farmer. 